Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back. Happy, merry, almost Christmas, almost New Year. We're, we're getting there. <laughs> we're getting to the point of putting 2023 behind us. But before we do that, I want to introduce you to an amazing human being um, who I just adore. We met this week on her podcast. She had me on her podcast, and then uh, immediately I turned around and had her on mine because it just love talking to her so much. You may know her uh, as an actress. She's been on tons of stuff on TV and film. And she is a mom and she lives with bipolar disorder. And she is a mental health advocate. And she's just an extraordinary human. And I really loved talking to her. Her name is Alessandra Torresani, and she is the coolest. So here is my conversation with Alessandra Torresani. Alessandra Torresani, I'm so happy to have you here. You're a mom, you're an actor, you're a mental health advocate. This is all like a lot of, there's a lot here. You're, you're somewhat of a new mom. A new, a new mom, as you can hear my baby um, right here, like silently sleeping next to me. So very much a new mom in the sense of, you know, 17 months. So I feel like that's still fairly new. I keep calling her my newborn and I'm like, wait, that's not right. She's not a newborn, but I <laughs> Oh, wait. Oh, wait. She's walking and talking. I saw this mom yesterday and she was, she was pregnant and she said, I think she was like seven months pregnant or something. And it was at an event. And I was like, oh, how are, you know, how are you feeling? You know, because everyone asks like, oh my God, are you so excited? But I feel like people don't ask moms, how are you really? Like, how are you really doing? Because it's a, it's a journey. And she was like, oh, everything is great and rainbows and butterflies. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm a new mom too. And then I like spit out 17 months and I was like, oh, that's not a new mom anymore. Every day feels new when you're when your babe when your kids are so little. Every day feels new, right? I mean, insanity. You're a mental health advocate. You yes. are very open with your own struggles. I I live with bipolar one disorder and thriving and thriving. And you you were talking about how like the first year of marriage is like is really hard for anyone. Sure. Sure. Can you talk about that? Like what you experienced in that first year? I mean, I would say it even goes through pregnancy, right? Where oh, I, well, I, yeah. I feel like the reason why I'm so excited to talk to you about, you know, all of this fun, you know, D word stuff, even though I'm not getting a divorce, I am a product of divorce. So I am someone that understands what that's like to be the child side of it all. 
But the thing that I that I was so frustrated and I found myself so angry about was that people don't talk about how hard pregnancy is and how hard postpartum yeah. is on mm. your marriage or on your partnership, right? I'll, mm-hmm. I'll say that in general. Your hormones are doubling by the day and you are, you know, forget if you have a mental illness like I do, like let's just live in a world where everything is rainbows and butterflies like this other mom, you know, right. um, <laughs> whatever weird unicorn. There's so much that you're, that you're going through. Your body is changing so much. You're losing your identity. You don't know, am I still, you know, Alessandra? Am I just a mom now? Can I still be sexy and still like post, you know, naughty Instagram posts of me, you know, feeling hot out on a day out. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you, you don't know who you are. You lose friendships, you lose, you gain friendships, you kind of lose that relationship that used to be with your partner and it becomes something new. And it's like a death, I would say, right? Mm -hmm. It's a death of who you used to be and finding out if this new person who you are can fit well and mesh well with your partner. Like, it's a lot. Even if you never had issues before, you're going to find there's issues. I think it's really well said what you're talking about, because it is so important to any transition, right? Even if it's the most glorious transition, like motherhood, giving birth, which I mean, glorious and also, uh, um, yeah. <laughs> right. Like, but like we pretend it's all glorious. Right. And so we don't ask new mothers, are you okay? Right. I, I mean, I'll never forget walking into for my two week, I think it was my two week checkup postpartum. And literally my OB said, how are you? Mm-hmm. And I lost it and I burst into tears and I couldn't stop crying. And she was like, okay, here you go. Take this, fill it downstairs, (laughs) you know? And I was like, oh, thank God. And I didn't even know in that moment, until that moment, until someone asked me, how are you? That I was not okay. And let me tell you, that's so rare because people do not, doctors and physicians do not ask how are you really? They don't, Mm -hmm. you know, you go in for that six week postpartum checkup and they're like, okay, you're good to go. You can go have sex now. And you're like, um, pardonnez-moi. Like, let me take a moment. Like there is nothing that is going inside me right now because I am in such emotional pain. I can't even imagine what that would be like. You know what I mean? And, And that's, and that's what I found to be so frustrating is, you know, that's, that's it. You go to all these appointments when you're pregnant, you're there all the time up until the very end, you're there Mm -hmm. once a week. And then all of a sudden they're like, we see you once you're good to go, go have fun. Like, you know, go have sex, like come back when you're pregnant again, you know? And you're just like, you feel like you're almost like, just like a piece of meat at that point. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's funny because I never like to project that this is the experience for all pregnancies or this is the experience for all postpartums because I'll never forget like running into someone and being like, oh my God, how are you doing? Like I am a mess. Like I, I also dealt with a lot of issues postpartum with postpartum hemorrhaging and I was in and out of the hospital. So there were a lot of um, traumatic things that had happened that I didn't realize were as traumatic as they were until 
here we are now in the present and I'm dealing with it. Right. Like mm-hmm. a year later, but I would go up to women and be like, Oh my God, are you okay? Like, Oh my God. And then this happened and this happened. And I would like trauma dump. And I didn't know that that's what I was doing. And right. some women are like, no, I had a beautiful, no medication birth experience and my baby's an angel <laughs> and it never cried. And, and <laughs> rainbow, you know, it's a rainbows and butterflies again, you know, and you're just like, what? So you, those you, are people that I almost want to like, I, like if they had said that to me, if anyone had said that to me when I was in the thick of my like birth and recovery and postpartum trauma, I, I might have punched them. <laughs> right. And like and, and I think it's also Sorry. confusing because for me, mm. I was like, wait, why are why are other people not experiencing what I'm experiencing? And I would see friends who gave birth around the same time that I did, and they would be working out and they would be back oh, at the gym Lord. and stuff. Right. And I have yet to relive that life again of like being a worker out or, you know, and I just remember being so frustrated and I would cry and I would cry and I would cry and I would cry to my husband and say, you know, it's not fair. Yeah. I did everything right. I carried the baby. I was healthy. I got off my medication. I, you know, had a great birth and then, you know, there were issues afterwards, but I, I did all the work why can I not do this? Why can't I be normal again? And that's something that I think I will say many, many, many women have come forward since my podcast and me talking about it have said that, why am I not who I used to be? You know, why am I not the old Alessandra, you know? Yeah. Right. Because that's not existent anymore. It never will be existent because your heart is outside of your body now. And you like, don't realize that you add that and then add any little bit part of a marriage where there might be some issues, you know, and you see why a lot of people within the first year get divorces, because it was something that I would throw out the word divorce all the time to my husband. And I love him dearly, but I was so frustrated I didn't know who I was, what I was, would I ever be the same again? I I was just so angry and so lonely, mm-hmm. even though mm-hmm. I had so much of a support system, I mm-hmm. felt so internally lonely. And I think that that's what we forget about mom and motherhood is that it can be such a lonely journey, even if you yes. have a great support system. Yes. You know, and I think that it it's an experience that men you know, try as they might, like they, they cannot understand the experience that we have, like absolutely cannot. And so it does, it feels so lonely because you're the only one in your home. You're the only one in the partnership who understands who, who feels the way you're feeling. And even if you have friends who, again, like may have had different birth experiences and not had birth trauma, or even if they have, it's different, whatever it is, like those people are not in your home. They're not with you at, you know, four o'clock in the morning while you're like crying and and nursing. It's so incredibly isolating. And like, and you have changed your, I mean, you've changed on a cellular level. Your cells are now no longer the same, like literally not the same. And your, your DNA has changed and your entire being has changed from the inside out and to align those things and you know like what we were talking about like the t- all transitions this is a transition whether it was joyous or really traumatic like it was for you and for me we we don't give it we have to give that weight right we have to 
all all transitions require the giving up of something, require the grieving of something that has that we are letting go of. Oh, absolutely. Right. Even when we when we graduate high school, right? It's joyous. It's wonderful. It's all exciting. It's a transition. We're now we all we have to mourn the loss of, you know, being a kid or being with the people that we loved and, you know, all of our friends and all of those things. And we off we so often don't like we just sort of gloss over the whole thing. Yeah. And we don't remember like to give ourselves grace, mm -hmm. you know, because I am the best person at giving advice. I'm the best person at like telling you a quote that, you know, will stick with you. And then for myself, I'm like, oh, I don't listen to shit. Like, I don't listen to my advice. Like, I don't, I, I should listen not. to my show and then maybe I'd be a little better off. Oh, but like, listen, that, same. That's happened, right? <laughs> right, you know? right. And, and, you know, you also, I think. I will speak for, for moms and, and, you know, women and men, like moms and husbands situation, you know, because that's what I'm in. I won't speak for anyone mm-hmm. else, but mm-hmm. I will say it's also so frustrating because y- you do so much, you know, for, for this baby, you're breastfeeding, you're eating well, like you, the journey doesn't stop after you mm-hmm. give birth. It continues. <laughs> and I remember even quite recently just being so upset because my husband had to um, go away for for a work trip, for a business trip. And I only had to set up an interview. Like I only do interviews about once or twice a week now. Like I used to Mm -hmm. just get them out all the time. I had so much free time. I was like, whatever, you know? And now if we don't have my mom watching and he can't watch, we don't have a babysitter. We don't have a nanny. Like it's literally me, you know? And I remember saying, okay, by the way, I have an interview tomorrow morning at, 8 a.m. or something, just so you know. I don't need you to watch her, but I just, you know, I'm just letting you know. And he's like, oh, well, that like is such a hard time because that's when I'm supposed to go and take the shower and then I'm getting picked up from work and all this stuff. And I and I remember like just being so angry at him because I was like, you know, you don't have to know what the schedule is like for a baby. Like mothers never have to like be like, here's our schedule. Like, let's work it out together. If you're, if you're still married, you know, the Mm -hmm. men just assume, well, in the morning she's got a breastfeed. So she's going to be with the mom. So I don't have to have a, I don't have to, right. I don't have to think about that. You know, she'll let me know when she needs me, but it's not like, I just expect you to get up and just take care of the baby. And I think that that adds a lot of stress Mm -hmm. if you don't know how to properly communicate that. You know, right, right. That was like a a new conversation for us of like, you don't have to worry about a schedule because you have me, you know, so we need to figure something out, you know, but, but like you said, every day is a new day and it's a new conversation and it's a new stress level that you, you have to get over and you communicate, which I'm very lucky. We communicate well, or, or it leads to a separation and it leads to a divorce. Well, and that's the thing, right? Is that is in all of these transitions, we must communicate what's happening. We must be able to say, oh, wow, you know what just happened there? We just had this ex- this thing where it's like, I felt like you were just sort of taking it for granted that I was in charge and that everything would be fine. And there was no thought to my life and my schedule and we have a baby. And so like, there's an expectation that I'm taking care of everything. That really doesn't work for me. How can we, as a couple, 
solve this problem, right? And this is a huge distinction from you did this and you did that and you're an asshole and blah, blah, blah. It's, oh, as a couple in this relationship, in this marriage, we have a new thing that we have to figure out, right? Is a new, is a different conversation. And then, you know, for me, I always say like, have the, having the conversation is really important, but how they respond to it, that's where that's like, that's key. where the rubber meets the road. Right. Yeah. And so you're married to someone who was like, oh shit, yeah. <laughs> I didn't think about that, but really it's the communication, right? It's saying, it's saying like, Hey, I, I feel this way. Right. And you know, when your partner says, oh shit, I'm so sorry. Then you're like, okay, okay. I don't have to get that divorce that I've been thinking about in my head because I was so fucking full of resentment and right. rage. Right. <laughs> It was interesting that you had talked about, and I thought this was so cool, how it's always a shock to the partner when when there's a divorce. I brought this up to my mom because I thought this was so interesting. She was like, yep. (laughs) You know, moms, we think about it over and over and over. Like it's constantly in our head. And I've constantly like said that word before without it having like true grit and meaning, you know, Mm. it's been like, and maybe that's wrong that I've said the word, but it's like out of frustration, out of anxiety, out of postpartum stress, you know, it will come out and be like, Oh, just be easier if we have a divorce, you know, sometimes it'll like come out like that. But it is interesting how you said it's always a surprise to the partner, right? To the man like, Oh, wait, and it's like, I've been saying this for years and you don't see it coming, you know? Right. And it was mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. because my mom was like, oh yeah, no, totally. I'm, I I get that. Like that, yeah. that makes total sense. You talk yeah. about it all the time. Why, why is that? Yeah. Well, full, so first of all, like, I love how you just turned this around to you interviewing me again. I wanted to clarify it with my mom. This is my mom's question. I totally. I think it's hilarious. No, I think it's great. Mostly because you've been, you've been bringing it up so, so much and you haven't done anything about it. Right. Like you keep threatening it, but you're not doing it. So when I finally told my ex, I don't know if I told you this on, on your show. I don't think I did that. When I finally told my ex, like two weeks later, he came to me and he was like, I'm so sorry. I just never thought you'd leave. <laughs> you guys should see Alessandra's face right now. How long were you contemplating it? Oh, years. And and we had talked and and I had we talked about it in therapy and I had been like I'm actually done. And then he was supposed to be like winning me back, but then he mm-hmm. didn't really do anything. And so then I was like, "Oh no, I'm actually done." And then he was like, "Oh, Basically, what he said was, I just thought I could keep getting away with doing. I knew what I was doing was wrong. I knew I was big. I was treating you badly. I just didn't think I had to change. I thought I could keep getting away with it. Wow. Wow. (laughs) But he had gotten away with it for 10 years. So, like, why wouldn't he think that? As a new mom, like, I think that, you know, my biggest fear always, like, when it came to divorce is, which I never understood. And, I I say this, this isn't my mom's experience, but I I think of it this way in the sense of, you know, my mom, my mom and dad were married until I was about 15 and then they got Mm -hmm. separated and then I had a falling out with my dad and then they had like a, the divorce came a little bit later, but I mean, it was just because it was paperwork. Like they weren't together. Mm -hmm. And I remember always, you know, when I was young, internalizing being like, oh, they should have done this when I was younger, like, because it would have been easier, you know? And we, I remember on the podcast, I had asked you, you know, when your parents got divorced and you said, I was so young, like I didn't know any different, but Mm -hmm. then I wonder like, how can, like for me, like my struggle always would be like, but I don't want to lose 
50% of that time with my child. Right. 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 And so like, what do you say like to someone like me, like who would be like, not that I'm in this Mm -hmm. situation, but I mean, that is something that I always would be like, I wouldn't get a divorce strictly because of that, because I'm so enmeshed in my child. Like I can't imagine. Oh, listen, a hundred percent. And I think it's really valid. And I think there's a couple of things, right? It's especially when they're, when they're little, when they're little, when they're 17 months old, like your mom and you are, you are everything. And so uh, to be honest, I, I it, look, I, if it's, if it's like, I can't do this anymore. Like I literally can't do this anymore. And I literally have to get divorced, but I'm scared yeah. of the time away from my child. Right. Um, so we're like stepping over, like we're, we're assuming this is now something that has to happen. Right. 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 As opposed to still in the deciding, um, I would say, first of all, for an infant, for someone as young or a toddler, um, I would not recommend a 50, 50 split at that point. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you have, there would be a step, step up approach to this where you would have primary um, custody, as long as, you know, your spouse was amenable to that and understood that that was what was best for the child. You know, a lot of judges, um, will look at like, I mean, now they're just moving to 50, 50. They're just, it's sort of a blanket thing and it's ridiculous, but for, for young ones, right. We want to keep their life as, as, consistent as possible. Mm -hmm. And so ripping a child away from, first of all, it's massive attachment wound, right? This is not okay. I would assume. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so a child who is so deeply bonded with their mother, we don't want to do that. We want to wait until, you know, maybe do like, you know, a 70, 30 for a while. Right. And then like every other weekend, maybe go and like have a sleepover at dad's. Right. Or like one, you know, one night, one or two nights a week, have a sleepover with daddy. How fun. Right. Yeah. It's like that um, until there are probably maybe three or four and like there could be a more of a consistent schedule, but you phase and ease into that. Mm. You don't just like dump a child into it. That's just, I think, terrible. And then that also gives you the chance to ease into that um, separation, right? You know, the first couple of nights away are like terrifying and tragic. Oh my God, I can, I I could only imagine like, yeah. And, and it just, it breaks my heart when I see that. And I always wonder like, how do moms who are breastfeeding, like, Oh yeah. Well, we don't, we don't. I mean, well, there was a judge who just, just ruled. I mean, this is, this is our fucking country, right? There was a judge who just ruled that a woman had to give up breastfeeding in order to have 50, 50 custody. And this is probably, I think it was like in Florida, but because, because Florida. Um, I can't remember where it was, but it was somewhere like that. Wow. I mean, but like fucking awful, fucking yeah. awful, right? This is why we want to stay out of court if at all possible, because yeah. it's, this is the kind of shit that judges who don't have any training in ch- child development or anything like that. They're, they make decisions like this that are just like not in the, be- you know, they always talk about what's in the best interest of the children sure. without actually having any training or information on what's actually best for children. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Wait, that's me. I know I have a lot of podcast episodes for you to get through, and it can be really, really overwhelming to try and figure out where to start or to comb through which ones might be uh, appropriate for you, whether you're trying to decide whether to stay or go, or you're already on the other side of the divorce process. Like, how do you know what to listen to? 
I have solved the problem for you. All you have to do is go to kateanthony.com slash playlist, answer a few short questions, and I will send you a curated list of podcast episodes to best support you as you navigate these tricky waters. I'll also help you identify where you currently stand on this journey and what's ahead with resources to help you move through this process with knowledge and grace. So all you need to do is go to kateanthony.com slash playlist, answer a few short questions, and you will have your curated list of podcast episodes that will support you wherever you are in your journey. And now back to our show. I want to go into your uh, experience living with bipolar disorder and then being on medication and then having to go off of medication and actually navigate motherhood and marriage, not medicated. Like that's got to be like challenge upon challenge. Yeah, it, 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 (laughs) it was, you know, I was diagnosed. I'm currently 36. I always have to remember like, how old am I? Um, I'm currently 36. I was diagnosed when I was like 21, 22 with bipolar one disorder and I was misdiagnosed my whole life. Um, I was put on antidepressants, which made my highs higher and my lows lower, made me suicidal when I was not a suicidal human. The decision for me to get off my medication was a very controversial one because there are studies that say, oh, it's fine. It's only a 10% chance that, or I don't know the percentage, I don't quote me on the percentage, but a certain Mm -hmm. percentage where you would get a cleft palate, right? Well, you know, I have friends who have had cleft palates and that has totally messed with their entire mental health, their entire life, um, Mm. and having to get surgeries. And it's something I don't want to risk. And you know what? Like there's already so many risks in pregnancy. Like I just didn't want to do it. So I had spoken with my doctor and my doctor, you know, we had gone through a whole program where it took like six months where, I, you know, went down milligram by milligram, you know, day by day, Mm -hmm. week by week, month Mm -hmm. by month. Um, And I was very lucky. I got pregnant right away. And my first trimester was great other than feeling an aversion to sourdough bread and, and migraines, you know, which were fine. Um, And the second trimester was uh, terrifying for me because Mm -hmm. I had been told by everyone in my life, oh, the second trimester is best. It's when you finally feel like yourself again and you're happy and it's fun and it's like, it's great. Um, And for me, I was experiencing torture and trauma the whole second trimester because that's when my, you know, manic episodes were kicking in. Um, So I was so confused why this was supposed to be the best time that I was having these episodes. And that's when the like dress of a marriage came in. That's when, you know, all kinds of things came in. Third trimester, I was great. Had a baby, had a traumatic experience, but I didn't realize how traumatic it truly was. So I was in and out of the hospital, having to breastfeed on a wheelchair in the valet of Cedar sinai Hospital because they couldn't bring her. Born in the pandemic, I'm doing the math. Was she born not in the pandemic, but like just after, just post? Okay. Right, just after there was some other thing that like not bird flu, but something else came through and it was like unknown diseases were inside the hospital. So they wouldn't let her inside. Uh, This was 10 days postpartum in the, in the emergency room. Um, And then they were like, well, you have to formula feed her. And it was a formula shortage. And I was like, no, 
I, I will go in and out of this hospital. I will walk out. I don't care if I'm bleeding on the floor, like I'm going out there. So there, there were so many things that were happening that, you know, were hormonal. Who knows if it was the reason why it would cause manic episodes or about to cause a manic episode, yeah. or was it just pregnancy and hormonal? I don't know, you know, um, but it put a lot of stress on my marriage because I was so frustrated and I just wanted to be the best version of myself for my child and, and give all I could. But then, you know, little things here and there would just, just make me spiral, you know? And, and mm -hmm. I would say that the, I didn't realize I had such severe postpartum anxiety uh -huh. um, until Recently, when a car almost hit me when I was pushing my baby and Ooh. it was a neighbor's mother <laughs> and oh, no. no apology and it was caused a huge fight in the middle of the street. And she said it was my fault. It was just crazy. She's the car and you're the mom pushing a stroller. She's fed up after. Yeah. But um, it was really terrifying. I, I completely lost it. I was, I came back to the house and I was debilitated for about three days. I couldn't move. Yeah. Um, I was shaking. I was crying. Oh. I saw, you know, blood on the, on the ground. I saw, you know, every visual yeah. that a new mom experiences, which I had had before, but I thought I'd finally gotten over it. It all was triggered again, elevated. And a friend of mine had reached out and seen a video that I posted on my Instagram where I was just crying because I didn't know what else to do. And she recommended um, neurofeedback therapy. Mm -hmm. And I did six sessions in three weeks. And I went from, I'd say my anxiety was at 100. And now it is at maybe a 25, a 20. Wow. I mean, it was the most remarkable thing. And I recommend that to anyone. And it mm. kind of made me think, you know, if there was ever something that my husband said that would piss me off originally where it would take me to a hundred, I kind of just like threw it away at this point where I was like, it's not really relevant to me. And it's not going to, the, the reaction's not going to help me out and it's not going to help our situation out. So uh, I realized it was the stress of everything that was causing all this strain of, of mental illness. A lot of women, there, there have been studies that have come out where a lot of women their pregnancies trigger their bipolar one disorder where right. yes. they never knew that they were living with bipolar disorder and a pregnancy brings it out in them. It's just, it's so wild how women think, you know, oh, postpartum depression is when you have to be depressed and sitting at home. They don't know about anxiety. They don't know the mood disorders. They don't know any of these things that's not talked about where these could be reasons why your marriage is falling apart because mm. you are not you. You are not you. And that's okay that you're not you, but you need help. You need medicine. You need therapies. You need support systems outside of a marriage. You know, there's a lot of things that, that, that will benefit you, you know, yes. in this situation. And so that's why I just, I, I try to take my experience of, you know, I have the, be the best baby in the world. I have the coolest kid. Everyone loves her. I love her more than anything in the world. She's great. The mm -hmm. problem was inside of me and it was not even a problem. It's just something that I need to work through um, with, yeah. with, with support and with 
with help. And it's okay yeah. to ask for help. It doesn't make you weak. It makes you strong. And that is something that you said on my podcast that has been in my head all day, every day is you, you know, I had asked you, you know, what happens if someone has a mental illness? Because mm -hmm. truth be told, that's something that I've always been scared of even before this marriage, like my whole life since being diagnosed of, you know, everyone's always threatened me. It's always been my fault that I, that I live with a mental illness or, I had a boyfriend who cheated on me be and I had found out it was because I was crazy. You know, I lived with a mental illness, right? So this is something that's always been a fear. So when I had asked you on my show, you know, can they, the judges use that against you in a, in a custody situation? And you said, no, if anything, it's a good thing because it means you've identified the issue. You are getting the help. Here are the resources. Here are the doctors that can vouch for you. Here are the people in your life, you know? And it was like, wow, like it's not, uh, it's not a bad thing. It's a, it's, it's a positive thing. It means that I, I identified and I'm working on myself and, and how wonderful. Yes. Right. And, you know, of course, judges in Florida might, you know, have different or take Sure. I mean, look, it always depends on the judge, which is terrible, but for the most part, you can, you would certainly make the argument, you know, sure. look, I mean, you know, the stigma is decreasing um, by the day. We're just talking about now, I don't know if you're following this, but I heard on NPR this morning that there's a big hearing um, with the Transportation Safety Board and the FAA about, because, you know, pilots are not allowed, if, if pilots are on medication, they're not allowed to fly. So you, I, they, which is why that guy had that mental breakdown when he tried to like take over the plane um, a few months ago was because he was suffering from like serious oh, issues, mental health it. issues. Yeah. And he was afraid to get help because he would lose his career. Right. So there are pilots flying airplanes that are in unhinged. having, that are unhinged because if they were to go and seek treatment, they would lose their careers. Well, I, so, I it's like the firefighters and, and police officers right. they can't have any, you know, mental illness and be on right. any medication to be right. Know. So nobody, so these people aren't seeking treat. They're not seeking treatment, and so then they're fucking unhinged on the job. So, you know, this is so we're we're shifting away from this. So now they're doing. They're actually having um, a hearing. I think it was today. About wow. this with the FAA, they're trying to be like, this is insane. Yeah. You're making people who need worse. help, you're making people worse. And putting also putting the public in danger. But real, but really, you're you're punishing people for get tr seeking treatment for something that is treatable. Which which is a treatable. And you know, look, I, I always use the thing like you wouldn't tell someone not to put a you know a, a brace on their leg if it was broken. You wouldn't That's tell right. someone, oh no, you can't get fixed because you have diabetes or you have cancer. Don't get an X-ray. Don't get an X-ray. You'll you'll lose your job. It's like what are you talking what? about? And like, look, yeah. there have been many situations where I've you know, been told by people in the business that I shouldn't talk about my mental illness, that it's going to label me as a diva and difficult to work with. But you know what? Honestly, like it came to a point where I was like, I don't care. I'm not the only one that's suffering. I had heard so many people talk about it um, so openly and bravely. And I was like, it, it's time to, to, to talk, to scream this. 
And then I, you know, was really lucky because People Magazine was the one that announced my pregnancy. And they did it in a way where we talked about mental health, mental illness, being off my medication, you know, and, and really good. just being open and honest about it because people need to know, like, I thought I was never going to have a kid because I couldn't get off my medication and there was a mm-hmm. right way to do it. Right. And you, and you struggled, right? That you, you struggled through it, but it wasn't impossible. It was not impossible at all. And in fact, it's like hard to tell. Was it the medication? Was it the, the hormones? You know, <laughs> disorder? Was it the hormones? I don't know because I have talked sure. to women who have no history of mental illness in their family with themselves. And they experienced, you know, very severe dark times like I did. And they did yeah. not know that w- what they were experiencing was a mental, you know, mental health crisis. You know, I'm very lucky that I know what that looks like to identify it. Now that the hormones have, you know, kind of settled a little bit, you know, it's 17 months, right? And and you're still breastfeeding, so you're still not on your meds. Uh, Um, How are you you feeling? You know what? I feel great. And I don't know if that's the right thing to say or the wrong thing to say, but right now I've been feeling- Well, it's the truth. Yes, it's 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 your truth. And a lot of people get mad at that, I think, because- Why? Because I feel like some, you know, people feel like you need to be on medicine. And if you're saying you're great and you're not on medicine and you have a mental illness, that then it's like all manic and all this. So, oh, uh, I see. Yeah. But I will say at the moment, I am feeling fantastic. I do mm-hmm. have my days, but there has been nothing that has been fearful or scary for me or manic episode ish, even at anything. The only thing that I felt was severe postpartum anxiety, which I'd never experienced anxiety like this before. And then it was, you know, re-triggered by someone trying to run me over. So, you know, you know, what did I do? I went and I got help immediately for it within right, three exactly. days of the situation happening. I had done something about it. So medication will come back into my life, you know, once I finish breastfeeding and I reassess and there may be a, a a point where I don't need the same amount of milligrams. I mean, it is constantly a conversation with the doctor figuring out yeah. where I am. That's pregnant, not pregnant. That's right. That's pregnant. just, that's just, that's just life. Like we're, we're constantly changing. Our bodies are changing. Right. Our hormones are changing. Like over time, this shit, cha- this, you know, what we need changes. That's right. I'm wondering if, do you have sort of systems in place with either your therapist or your husband, even like you've got people in your life who are going to say, Hey, I, like I, I'm observing that maybe, right. Cause it's when we're in our own shit, like certainly in a manic episode, right. You d- don't have any much perspective. Um, in a depressed episode, we don't have perspective either, but like there are people in your life that you have guardrails, right? Right. Yeah. And I would say my guardrail was my mom um, mm-hmm. because my mom was the one that saw me pre-medication, medication, post-medication, you know, all of that, yeah, where right. my husband had never seen a manic episode. He didn't know what it looked like. So there would be right. times where I would be really just like, oh my God, I need to clean the house and I need to do this and I need to do that. And I need to go on a drive right now. And he'd be like, oh my God, she's manic. And my mom's like, no, do not project that on her. Like, that's not what this is. You don't know what this looks like. That is a hormonal mother who's nesting. (laughs) Yeah, right. But it is interesting because it would frustrate me when he would project that. And I'm like, 
no, that's not what it is. I know what it is. My mom knows what it is. You know, very hard to explain unless you've been in that situation. So it's of no fault of his own, but it's very hard because that is something that happened my whole life is people would project things onto me that weren't there, you know? And so that's a, that's a, that's a, a very for you. thing for me. It's a, it's a right. nerve that, that's a trigger nerve. I, I am very lucky because I'm very in tune with my, myself, even when I'm out of tune, I know when something's off. Um, yes. and so even if I may be like, I don't know how extreme it is. I, I, I know to ask for help. I know. Yes. I good. know. And that Good. happened, you know, yeah. with the car, you know, that mm -hmm. was, it was, I was so anxiety ridden and, and, you know, debilitated for those three days where I knew this is going to turn to something bad. So I need right. to get this fixed. Right, um, right. Because I don't know what direction I'm going to go in. And again, like that awareness, that self-awareness, being able to like call it and see it and feel it and name it and then seek the treatment and seek the help is like everything, right? Yeah. I'm wondering what advice you have for people who are in a relationship with someone who clearly has some form of mental illness and is not doing anything about it. And it's yeah, really damaging. I feel like relationship. That is the the one of the hardest things um that you could that one of the hardest positions you could ever be in. Because if you are someone that's in the relationship and you see that your partner is struggling, you want to be their support system. You want to be there for them, but you also yeah. can't be the one that forces them to let's go to an extreme situation, right? You can't be the one that says you have to go into a mental health facility or I'll leave you. You cannot give the ultimatum, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're at this point, you're an adult. You can do the I think it's still called the 5150, you know, if there's, you know, they're calling, they're threatening suicide, you could put them away for 72 hours. I think that's still what it is. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. But, mm -hmm. uh, don't hold me to that, but I think that's what it is. Yeah, I think and, it is too, yeah. Um, you know, you, you can do that, but if you're not in that extreme, right, it's not that far, the, the best way that you can do is never make someone feel like they're crazy. Never make mm -hmm. someone feel like they're bad because they're feeling the way that they do. Don't make them feel like an animal in the zoo, right? Mm -hmm. Be the support system and say, hey, you know, I've been having a really off day. It happens to me. I feel like maybe you're having some off days. If you want I found some places that, you know, have helped some other friends of mine, or maybe, you know, here's some recommendations of doctors or therapists, uh, or if it's to a point where you're contemplating divorce over this because they won't seek help, you know, yeah. you can just be truly, I think the best thing to do is to be honest and be like, I'm really struggling trying to be in a relationship where you don't want to get the help and I've gotten the help to help us. I ask you, please, for you, the sanity of yourself and for the sanity of just getting better as a person, like to make yourself feel better. So you want to live and you want to have a great day. See, try something out, see if it'll help, you know, maybe go to this doctor, maybe go to the specialist, listen to this podcast. You know, I always say a really good way for people to um, make someone not feel crazy is say, oh my God, I heard this podcast today. And this person was talking about this. And there were a lot of, you know, things where I was like, oh yeah, that sounds familiar. Mm. Point them in the direction of my podcast. I have a lot of people that come on, talk about mental illness, talk about struggles. 
think that that's a really good way of you can find, you know, or I read an article and like for me, Carrie Fisher was one of the first celebrities that I had ever heard talk about bipolar disorder. And yeah. like, it made me feel not crazy because there was someone right. else out there that was successful that had the career that I love and I admired that did it. Right. And is cool as fuck. And <laughs> coolest. So, you know, if you can, if you can approach it in a very, you're not the animal in the zoo that I'm watching. Right. Yes. Yes. And the, it's the, it's like not like the conversations are not to be had in frustration. And like when you're at the end of your rope, right. These are, these are conversations where yeah, like right? leave little, little crumbs, you mm -hmm. know, and mm -hmm. don't let it get to the extreme. Um, and if it is at that extreme point and there's no turning back now, then you just, you know, try to say, I heard this podcast. It was really interesting you know, and this person's marriage was saved because they went and got this help. I don't know. Maybe it's something that we, we can see, you know, would work for you when you feel like, you know, your partner and your parents and your friends are all like going behind your back and talking about it. It makes you feel like you're an insane person. Right. And, it's yes. You know, right. Right. And it right. Makes and it, it worse. And you're resistant to getting help. Right. You become increasingly like resistant. You know, like, like you can't don't trust these people, you know, you're supposed to be my partner. I'm supposed to trust you. Just remember that. Right. I think it's important to remember that the other person is, is suffering. Well, maybe is not aware. Or maybe is not aware. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because there's delusions too, you know, with some, some mental illnesses, you know, and a I think lot. That's really I know. Hard. And that's, what's so hard. I think a lot of people deal with is, and also, you know, you know, my audience is mostly women. And I see this so often in relationships where the man is, the husband is not getting help. And we have, there is just still so much stigma around men and mental illness and, or therapy, just therapy, <laughs> right? mental health. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's fucking killing them. They're dying at earlier uh, ages. They're, you know, they're shooting up schools and hospitals and wherever the fuck they shot up this week because they're not getting the help that they need. Well, and that's why I think, especially with men, I think it's always good to show an example of maybe someone that they would be a fan of or something, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's mm -hmm. struggling, like maybe yeah. look up athletes that are struggling with their mental illness. I know Michael Phelps is like a huge supporter. Kevin yes. Love, the basketball player is a huge supporter. You know, I think if you could like say like, oh, I read this article where Michael Phelps was talking about depression and like, you know, Kevin Love talks about, he's an amazing athlete and he has this great organization called the Love Foundation. I think it's called the Love Foundation. Okay. Now I'm now I'm like, oh my gosh, is that what it's called? But it should be. It should be. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> um, but he was talking about how he was in the NBA finals, and that was when he had his first panic attack when he was on the bench about to go and play. And like I think it's really cool because you see this guy and he's like such a dude, right? And you're like, right. oh my God, so bro, so masculine, you know. And here he is bringing such awareness. So I think that's another cool way is like, look up what athletes, look up what businessmen talk about that. And what speaks to them, right? What is there, right? If he's a, if he's like a bro athlete, go that direction. If he's a corporate, whatever, go that, go that direction. direction. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I feel we could talk all day. We've, we've talked twice this week and I'm, and I want to, I want us to do it again. 
I'll come back on whenever you want. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Where can people find you and your work and your your podcast and, and all yeah. of the things? Um, well, they can find me at Alessandra Torsani, which is a mouthful. But if you Google my name and Instagram, how phonetically you think it is, um, it will come up. Um, and my podcast is called Emotional Support. And you can find it at emotionalsupportpod.com, at emotionalsupportpod. Um, on the Instagram. And yeah, it's, it's great. We talk all about mental health, mental illness, pregnancy, postpartum. It's a little bit of everything. So it's great. It's great. You're great. I'm so happy. And you're going to be on the pod and the episode's awesome. And it's really fun. And it's the first time I talk about really, truly like, what is divorce? What does it mean? What, mm -hmm. you know, when you should, when you should do the D word. <laughs> right. Uh, thank you so much, Alessandra. I adore you. I'm so happy to have had you here and we'll do it again. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.